Please stand and join me in the call to worship. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are good and you are with us. Lord, help us this day to be open to the words that you have to speak to us through Pastor Wes. Lord, help us to become more, pre- more aware of your presence in our lives in new and familiar ways each day. We praise you, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. I love those words that remind us of who God is and all of his glory and his splendor and his majesty and righteousness. And to know that who God is and that he comes and dwells with us. It's such an awesome thing to remind us as we come together for worship. So glad that you are here this morning, here in the sanctuary, those joining us on streaming. And uh, let me invite those of you here to take a few moments and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Especially given uh, the recent challenges that we've faced, one of the most powerful aspects of it is the idea that we can carry our burdens and our the things that weigh us down, the things that uh, are the pain in our lives, we can carry those to God and exchange them, really, give, hand them over to Him and receive His peace through prayer. You know, it's a way to unburden our heart and our mind to give those things to God and, and it's in those times I think where we receive that peace that passes all understanding yet of um, what prayer means to some folks in our congregation. We're going to hear a few more of these over the next few weeks. Next Sunday at 5 o'clock is the beginning of our prayer vigil, actually at 4.30. We have sort of a gathering service for half an hour or so to, to kick off the, the first uh, hour of prayer. And uh, we are excited about it. We've, As you could see from some of the pictures, we have uh, redone the prayer room again, and there are there are things in there that relate, a lot of it relates to ideas that that uh, we have talked about through the Minor Prophets. Some ways in which we know God and things that God reveals to us and ways that we respond to God. And so I hope that you will make plans to be a part of the, the prayer vigil. You can sign up this morning, right after church, we have a computer in the back, and do that, uh, or anytime. Uh, we have just... Uh, redone our church website. The address is still the same, but we've redone it. You'll notice it has a very different look to it. And one of the reasons we have already gone uh, live with it, even though not everything is finished, is because the prayer calendar, uh, we have a new prayer calendar that works with the new site and didn't work with the old site. And we've had problems the last few years, and so we wanted to get that up and going. It's very mobile-friendly, tablet-friendly, so whatever uh, way you access, if you 
Don't do the internet, or if you have trouble, just contact the church office and we'll help you. But you can sign up this morning. And let me encourage you also, after the service, just go down to the basement and take a look at the prayer room. Look around and uh, see what's there and uh, begin to, to ask God to stir your heart about being involved in this time of corporate prayer where we just keep passing the baton one person to the next, to the next, to the next for the three weeks uh, of this prayer event. So uh, we hope that you'll uh, be a part of this event and that God will use this to speak into our lives individually and uh, collectively. Today's Old Testament reading is selected verses from the book of Nahum. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. The Lord takes revenge on his adversaries and continues to rage against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but his power is great. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm. The clouds are the dust of his feet. The earth is laid waste before him, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the mountains crumble to dust in his presence. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an end of his adversaries. Though they be strong and many, says the Lord, they will pass away. Though I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. I will break the yoke of bondage from your neck and tear off the chains of Assyrian oppression. The Lord has given commandment about you, O Nineveh. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the graven image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Your enemy is coming to crush you, Nineveh. Man the ramparts, watch the road, prepare your defenses, collect your strength. The shield of his mighty men is red. His soldiers are clothed in scarlet. The chariots flash like flame, a forest of spears waving above them. The river gates are opened. The palace is in dismay. Its mistress is stripped. She is carried off, her maidens moaning like doves and beating their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool of whose waters flow away. Halt! Halt, they cry, but none turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end of treasure. Desolation and ruin. Hearts faint and knees tremble. Where is the lion's den, where the lion brought his prey, where his cubs were, with none to disturb? The lion filled his caves with prey, and his dens with torn flesh. Behold, I am coming against you, says the Lord, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no more be heard. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and booty, the crack of whip and rumble of wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. And this because Nineveh, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt. All who see you will shrink back and say, Nineveh lies in ruins. Where are the mourners? Does anyone regret your destruction? Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile and protected by the river on all sides, walled in by water? 
Yet she was carried into, into captivity. Her little ones were dashed in pieces, and her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunken. You will seek refuge from the enemy. Your princes are like grasshoppers. Your scribes like clouds of locusts settling on the fences in a day of cold. When the sun rises, they fly away. No one knows where they are. Your shepherds are asleep, O Assyrian king. Your princes lie dead in the dust. Your people are scattered across the mountains with no one to gather them together. There is no healing for your wound. Your injury is fatal. All who hear of your destruction will clap their hands for joy. Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your unceasing evil? This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in the singing of the doxology. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these gifts that you've graciously graciously given us. Lord, we just pray over this offering that it would be pleasing to you and that it would be used for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
sing with us. Who has felt the nails upon his hands, bearing all the guilt of sinful men? God eternal, humble to the grave. to come to him in prayer, and a beginning of prayer is confession. So I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Almighty and merciful God, we know that when we offend another, we offend you. We are aware that we have often allowed the shadow of apathy to cloud our souls, hiding the light from our unseeking eyes. We have said unpleasant and hurtful things to our brothers and sisters when they failed to live up to our expectations. Grant that we might know your love burning within us, the love that you have shown to us even when we failed you. Fan the embers of that love into flames of grace, truth, peace, and reconciliation. Lead us into new life through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of all. Amen. As we uh, enter into this time of corporate prayer, uh, some of you are aware that Dan Woolsey has been struggling with illness for a number of years. And uh, he died last night. 
And so we want to remember Dan's family in our prayers. And I don't have the arrangements yet. Those have not been made. But I just want to pray for the Woolsey family, as well as the other burdens and needs that we bring with us today. Father, we want to thank you that you are the king who rules forever. It is a declaration of assurance that you are who you say you are and everything about our lives is rooted in that. We thank you that that you are a God who not only reigns eternal, but who dwells with us and who calls us to pray. And so this morning, we bring to you the burdens and the concerns of our lives. We pray for the Woolseys, for Kathy, children, Warren and Ella, Dan's siblings, extended family. May they know your comforting presence in this time of grief and pain and loss. Father, we pray for those who are struggling with health concerns among us, those connected to us. Pray for Jane Swanson, Leonard Watson, for Louise Princell, Laura Habecker, Hudson Hess, and Nancy Cole, for Ryan Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Ellis Brotsman, Chuck Barrett, for Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Dorsa Sepian, and Isla Shea, for Sheldon Emerson, and Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey and Mike Raybuck, Everett and Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds today, and we pray for your healing grace for each of them. Father, we pray for this church, and we thank you for the ministry of this church, and as we are about to enter into another prayer event, Lord, help us to engage you in this time. Help us to to come in openness to you and may you do more than we could have dreamed or imagined in us individually and corporately and beyond. We pray for the churches around us and today we pray for the North Collins Wesleyan Church and Pastor Justin Leininger. Continue to bless this congregation. They're seeing some great things happen in this church as they reach out to their community. May they continue to have that heart for others as you do. We pray for our nation, divisiveness of our nation, the struggles that we see here. Lord, help us as the church to be on the forefront of fighting injustice, racism, all the ways in which we hurt one another and give us grace to be hope. We pray for all who are struggling with Recent disasters and acts of violence. We think of the fires in California and Puerto Rico and other places in Mexico who have, who have been devastated by, uh, by these events. And we ask, Father, that you will work miraculously. Let your people be a beacon of light and hope in these places. And, Father, we pray for a world. I think of refugees who, who live with little hope of ever returning home. Who, who struggle with feeling safe where they are. We pray that you would help them, that you would bring them home in celebration and rejoicing about what you have done. We pray for places in the world where war is just 
everyday life, where threats of terrorism are just everyday life, bring peace into our warring world. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We think of Christians in Somalia who now with, with renewed violence in Mogadishu, we're reminded that Christians have no freedom in this country and that death is a daily threat to them. And we ask you to protect them, give them courage and strength and wisdom. And may they be light even to those who oppose them. Give your grace to Kevin and Cindy Austin as they work in the Czech Republic. Open their, their lives and hearts as they minister to the church there and as they, as they work to be an influence in their community. Be glorified in their their lives in the Czech Republic. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being here with us as we worship. Be glorified as we continue to worship through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For thou, O Lord, art Above all the earth, thou art exalted far above all gods. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth, thou 
Today's New Testament reading is from Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. That was probably one of the weakest thanks be to God that I've heard after that Old Testament reading. We had one of those a few weeks ago, too. The minor prophets have a way of doing that to us, don't they? 
And it sort of came out in the form of a question. Thanks be to God? It's one of those passages of Scripture that you're wondering to yourself, that's in the Bible? It, it makes us so uncomfortable. You know, we're, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, uh, about the people who, this is your first time in church and you're reading this passage of Scripture and thinking, oh, what kind of God is this? And, and it, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us nervous because, quite frankly, we don't really like that image of God. I think Christian Smith hit it on the nose when his survey a few years ago that said the survey of young people and in North America. He said it came out that he said a lot of young people, and this would I think it stretches beyond young people, but he said he described their faith as moralistic therapeutic deism. It's all about God makes us feel good. God is the counselor, the therapist, who keeps saying to us, oh, it's okay, you know, uh, so how does that make you feel? It's a very Rogerian God, I think. And, you know, how does that make you feel? And what do you think about that? And, and ultimately, he is a God who is not really in our lives until we need him. And then we invite him in and then we send him away when we're done. And this God, that, this God in our minds, what we really want is a God who is nice. And when we read a passage of scripture like Nahum, a prophecy like Nahum, it, it, it makes us wonder about this. It makes me wonder, why did I get into the minor prophets? What was I thinking with? It seemed like a good idea at the time. It's probably the most challenging of all 12, trying to figure out why is this here and what is it saying to us? I think at its heart, it is telling us that God takes evil seriously. Because he knows far more than we do the consequences of evil. And I think one of the reasons we struggle with this image of God and what God is saying here to the people of Assyria is because, quite frankly, we don't take evil near as seriously as God does. We don't really see how destructive it is. We don't really see how heinous it is. We don't really see what it does to, that it destroys people's lives. We don't really think it's all that serious. And God is saying to us, it's more serious than you can imagine. Now, the Assyrians are uh, a nation that is probably, uh, you know, they, they are one of the world power at the time of this prophecy. And, and I suspect that if Jonah were alive, he's about 100 years before this, Jonah would have stepped in and said, why couldn't I have that prophecy? Why couldn't I have been the one? I would have loved to have said that to them. It would have been awesome. I would have cherished the moment. I would have savored it to be able to tell the Assyrians this. And we'll get back to Jonah in a second. But the Assyrians are called by God to come to, to Judah in this case. And they are God's agents of punishment of Judah because Judah has rejected God over and over and over again. And so he calls on Assyria to come and to be his punishment to them. The problem is Assyria decides that they're going to do more than punish. They want to annihilate. And Assyria becomes the nation that is the most heinous, inhumane, cruel, ruthless people in the ancient Near East. They have annals and the kings of all the things that they do to their opponents. And quite frankly, they're not things you can talk about in a setting like this. They turn your stomach. It's almost 
unimaginable, the things that they do to people in order to exert their power and their influence. And so people will fear them and they will conquer them. And God says to them, enough is enough. I am not going to let this kind of evil continue. And he acts against it. Now, I I think that, you know, we're tempted to think that God, that this is a different God from the one who spoke to Jonah. I mean, a hundred years before, God says to Jonah, go preach to them. And Jonah says, I don't want to go because if they repent, you're going to forgive them. God says, that's right. So then I want to go. And he ends up there anyway. They repent. God forgives them. And now a hundred years later, what's going on? God doesn't seem to be treating them the same way. And, and I think over the course of those hundred years, Assyria has decided they've thought about it. They know who God is. They've had experiences with God. And they have decided we don't want God. We're going to go our own way. We're going to, we're going to go back to our evil practices. And there's some, there's some sense that maybe they went back to even more evil than they were doing before. But it doesn't mean that God has changed. Right after, as this prophecy begins in verse 3, uh, the, the prophet says, um, I, am, I am the Lord who is slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger. It's a part of his nature. It's who he, how he describes himself way back in, to Moses when he gives him the law. I am slow to anger. That word, slow to anger, um, the Hebrew language often likes to take abstract ideas and and describe them in concrete pictures. And so if you read this in Hebrew, it doesn't actually say slow to anger. It says long of nose. And to be be angry is to be hot-nosed. And so what he's saying is, God has a long nose. It takes a long time for for the heat to get to the end of it. When I read that, I thought, no wonder I'm so patient. Now I get it. I see it now. God God is slow to anger. He is long of nose with people. He, He is patient and he is kind and he gives chance after chance after chance. I mean, look at the history of God and people. God says to Abraham, your people, your descendants are going to go into slavery for 400 years Because I want to give the people of Canaan time to repent. God gives gives Pharaoh nine plagues to release his people until finally the angel of death comes. And of course, you talk about Israel in the wilderness. And they're whining and complaining and saying, we're better off in Egypt. And how many times I would have said, okay, that's it. But God is patient again and again and again and again. This is who God is. It's one of the things why I think coming to doing these prayer vigils and coming to pray and setting aside an hour to pray, it gives us an opportunity to really think about who God is in our busy life when we struggle to think about who God is. In that moment, just to step back and to contemplate, to ponder the nature of God. That he is long-suffering and patient and abounding in love. He loves to forgive. The prophet, he says through the prophet Ezekiel, do you think that I like punishing people? He says, no, I don't like punishing people. I want 
everyone to turn from their wicked ways and live. But some people choose not to. And there are consequences to that. But it's not even just about God addressing evil. It's something even deeper than that. It is really about God God addressing his purpose and design for the world. It took me a little while to see this. In fact, I sort of skimmed over it in most of my preparations. And it wasn't until, I think it it wasn't until... Tuesday or Wednesday of this week that it jumped out at me. It was staring me right in the face. But you know how you look at things and you don't see them? It didn't hit me that the very first words out of the prophet's mouth are these. The Lord is a jealous God. Those are the very first words. The Lord is a jealous God. And it makes me wonder, because it's the first thing he says, if that isn't key to understanding everything that follows. Now, we have a problem with that because when we think of jealousy, we think of pettiness. We think of of controlling someone. We think of smothering someone. We think of self-centeredness when we think about jealousy. And that's where this may not be the very best translation. The old King James Version used the word zealous, and that might be a better translation. Because this word means to be passionate about to be passionate enough about someone or something that you get involved and you feel emotion and you care. And that's what he's describing here. God is jealous. God is zealous for his people. He cares for his people. Dennis Kinlaw says this word is connected to marriage and the idea of marriage. And so when a couple comes and stands in front of the church... And, and they, they say their vows to each other and they give rings to each other. What they're really saying is from this moment on, it's you and me. And of all, my, all of our human relationships, this one is central. And we are jealous for this relationship. We will fight for this relationship. We will do everything in our power for this relationship. As I thought about that, I, I wondered if maybe, the, maybe some of the most important words in a wedding ceremony and probably the most neglected in a wedding ceremony are, are what the minister says after the giving away and the vows and the rings. And he stands in, and he says to the congregation, now that they have joined hands, have said their vows and have come together in the joining of hands and the giving of rings, I now pronounce to you that they are husband and wife in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then... The very last sentence says, those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. And I think it's a a word of caution to everybody standing there witnessing, be careful. Be careful that you don't do anything or say anything that gets between this couple. Be careful. They're jealous for each other. Encourage that. And God is jealous for his people. Not because Israel is so special and everyone else isn't, but because God's plan for reaching the whole world, he tells Abraham, is that it will be through his chosen people. God calls Israel out of Egypt and says, you're my people. You will be, 
You'll be my followers and you'll reflect my image so that everyone around you can see what I am like and they too will want to come and be my people. You're my agents in this world and that's why God protects his people, both Israel and the Old Testament, the church now. And God is jealous for his people, not because we're so special and everyone else isn't, but because we are agents of God's grace and healing and mercy and life and flourishing in the world. We're the ones who can tell people this is what God is like. And the Assyrians are attempting to destroy Judah. The Assyrians who represent are symbolic of evil in this world are attempting to crush God's purposes for the world. To bring flourishing and life and joy and grace and peace, not just to a select group of people, but the whole world. And God is not going to let that happen. And that says to me that God's jealousy is really good news. It's the good news that God is greater than evil. And we can count on that. It strikes me once again, as it did Obadiah, that this is not a prophecy that we find in the scriptures of the Assyrians. This is a scripture we find in the, in the scriptures of the Israelites. And even though it's addressed to Nineveh, it is really a word for Israel. And the word for Israel is, in a world in which evil seems to have all the control, in a world in which you feel crushed and stretched and pushed and pulled, I'm still the king. I'm in control. I've got this. It may be why God is so graphic in his language about about what he's going to do to Assyria because he wants all of Israel to know this is serious. He is serious. He is going to take care of it. They can trust him. And he becomes a place of refuge for them. It's interesting, in the middle of all of this talk of destruction and and violence that the end of verse 1 talks about the good news. Look, there on the mountains, the feet on one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. He's echoing the words of Isaiah 52 and other places in Isaiah. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. It's the word of the angels to the shepherd. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. And Jesus, beginning his ministry, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. Good news that God is greater than evil. That God is in control. And that we can trust him. But I also think that this good news is a warning. It's good news because God is giving his people, he's giving us direction. And he's saying to us, when I rescue you, when I remove this threat from you, don't act like Assyria. And it's always a temptation. Don't be people who are known for violence. Be people who are known for peace and love and grace and truth. And we talk about violence, of course, like me. Our first thought is that they say, well, I don't don't practice violence. 
You know, I don't get into fights with people. I don't pull guns on people. And it, I, I would suspect that is true. I think in the church, maybe even just in society in general by and large, our acts of violence are more often than not not so much what we do physically to other people, but what we do emotionally to people. I think if you want to find violence, one of the ways to do that is, is violence is, is anything we do to hurt another person from any other perspective and with any other intent but love. Sometimes when we speak the truth, people feel hurt. And if we do it from a spirit of love because we care about them, I wouldn't call that violence. But if we do it for any other reason, I think I would. And I think that that in our culture, while we certainly see acts of violence all the time, maybe the most profound means of violence in our culture is our words. The words that cut us. Words that come from our mouths, words that we type on a keyboard, words that we punch into our phone. Words that damage people emotionally. If you're like me, when we were kids, we sang that little rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It's one of the great lies that we perpetuate among children. Long after the bruises have healed, you remember those words. We live in those words and we agonize about those words. Our lives are torn apart by those words. We've all felt it. And if we're honest, I suspect we've all said it. And the call of of this prophecy is to remind us that the strategy that Assyria uses, the strategy of violence, is not what the kingdom is about. Our argument typically is, but we're right. We're on the right side. We have the truth. And And we are right. We do have the truth. We are on the right side. But quite frankly, so was Nineveh. They only showed up in Judah because God called them. He said, I'm going to use, I'm going to use Nineveh to, to wake up my people. But they became so enamored with being right that they believed they could do anything they wanted to do. And look where they end up. It's hard when we know we're right. It's hard not to to say the things we want to say in the way we want to say them. And it doesn't mean that we don't stand up for the truth. We are called to stand up for, for what we believe and to stand up for the truth. But we do it in a way that is instigated and motivated by a heart of love. Everything God does, even what we read in this prophecy, comes from God's heart of love. That's a hard one for us to grasp. It's like we talked last week about, you know, when we get so enamored with the destination, 
When all we're thinking about is the destination, then we are just trying to get there as fast as we can. And it doesn't matter how we get there or who we trample to get there. The destination is all that matters. And we look back and we leave this pathway of carnage behind us. But the gospel calls us to be serious, not just about the destination, but the journey. The walking with God moment by moment. When you're just thinking about the destination, it doesn't really matter how you treat people. You just got to get to the destination. But when you're, when you're walking with God, when the journey is what's, is what's motivating you, and the journey is where your focus is, then people matter. And every person that comes into our path, every person that God brings into our path is another person to love. Another person to share Christ with. And when we're thinking about the journey, we pay attention to those people. We pay attention to not only our words, but how we say our words. And the motivation of our heart for the words. I've heard people argue, well, when I read this kind of prophecy, this is what God does. I mean, God seems pretty violent in this prophecy. And if God can do it, we can do it. And, of course, that doesn't take into consideration that he is righteous and we're not. He is holy and we're not. He is perfect love and we're not. In the scriptures, when God says in the scripture, vengeance is mine, that often gets interpreted as God is going to rake his vengeance upon you. And sometimes we even say that with a little bit of joy to people. But what he's really trying to say is, vengeance is mine, not yours. We don't have the right. Only God does. We leave the judgment to God. We leave the vengeance to God. And again, hear me, I'm not saying that we don't stand up for the truth. I'm not saying that we are not a presence of of God's uh, morality. It's not that we don't care about what people do or anything that happens in the world. In fact, we care more than anyone else because we know how destructive evil is. But we talk about it and we act on it from a heart of love and compassion and grace like God describes himself. This is one of those this is one of those places in scripture that quite frankly when I get to the end of it I'm not quite sure that I've answered all the questions. In fact, I'm sure I haven't. I still have questions. I assume you probably do too. And that bothers me because I want to have all the answers. I want to have the bo- I want to put everything in the box. Wrap it up, put the bow on top and say, okay, that's done. That's the God we create. And our God is too big for our boxes. Our God is too big for the ways in which we often confine him. But he does help us understand him, but we're always going to have questions. And at some point, 
we have to come to realize that we just aren't going to get all the answers to all the questions. And the call of the gospel is not figuring everything out. The call of the gospel ultimately is to trust God. To believe that he is who he says he is and nothing is more important, nothing's greater and we're going to trust him with everything we are. And as he reveals himself to us, we'll be open to that. But we believe God is who he says he is, and we're going to trust him. And we know we can trust him because God's ultimate response to evil, God's ultimate response to evil is the cross. The cross, Jesus takes the weight of the world, all, of the, all that evil can give and do upon himself. And he conquers. And he wins. He takes everything violence can do. And love wins. John Oswald says that sometimes we wrestle. It's hard for us to reconcile the love of God and the wrath of God, the fear of God. And often we think of them as mutually exclusive But he says the only way you can really understand them is when they're together in tension. And then he says, I I like to remind my classes over and over again of this, this little truth. If the God, the little God who lives under your bed says, I love you, doesn't really mean that much. But if the Holy Sovereign, righteous God who can fry us with just the glance of an eye says, I love you. That can change your life. And my prayer is that we will see God in such a way that it changes our lives. Holy Father, we want to thank you that you are who you are. We want to embrace who you are, celebrate who you are, even when we don't understand all of it. Give us the ability to trust you more and more and to be the people you created us to be, agents of grace and healing and truth and love in a world that's desperate. We pray this through Christ. Amen.
Amen. May that be our prayer. I want to remind you, if you have a moment, to go down to the prayer room, take a look at, uh, at the space there. And also, if you want to sign up, or, well, we're glad to help you when we're done. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.